For those of you who are in here earlier, my name is Patrick. I am a volunteer here at Venture, and um, I'm excited to get to share with you right now. We're in this series different, and we've had a different speaker every week of this series so far. And uh, some of you heard last week that this week was supposed to be Aaron, but we wanted it to be different. So there you go. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys know this or if all of you know this, but um, my wife, Ashley, who just walked in right there. Hey, baby. Uh, and I are expecting, I mean, we're having a, a baby, which we're excited about, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's our fourth, yeah, it's, that's what happens when you do that, um, because it's, it's different. Um, yeah, we're having our fourth kid because we're like old-timey people. Um, we we want to have enough farm hands to, uh, to get all the chores done. Uh, no, we, we, we do that because uh, that's what God did for us. We, we get to have a fourth little girl. Uh, it's what the doctor tells us is going to be, Amelia, we like that, it's going to be good stuff, but uh, that's not all that's different about us, we also, we, uh, we have a, we're a one income family, um, Ashley stays home and uh, homeschools our three older kids, that's right, I am the headmaster of the Harrison School for Gifted Youngsters, because the state let me pick our own name, and uh, so that, that's good, um, they, they share a bedroom, not because they have to, but because we told them they had to so I could have a Lego room. Um, we, uh, we don't teach our kids a lot of things that the, the world teaches kids. You know, like we don't teach them about the, uh, the fairy with bicuspids on the brain or the uh, resurrection rabbit or that, that weird old dude that sneaks in and hides stuff under your plants uh, you know, in December. I went a little bit cerebral on you there. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> It's okay. Uh, you know, we don't do that, not, not because of any real thing other than I want to get credit for all those things that my wife buys for her kids. Like, I, I, I want that. Um, you know, we, we believe in, in eating clean, so we don't eat a lot of, uh, of junk food, a lot of processed foods, you know, like I used to. You know, Hot Pockets used to be my jam. I had one uh, recently and about threw up. Um, and it's, oh, I can't even think about it now. Um, but so we try, try to eat clean. We have essential oils all over our house, you know, coming out of our noses, you might say, sometimes literally. Uh, we have essential oils. We uh, love to drive around and look at people's trash piles to see if there's anything worth picking up from there, anything that's, that's useful. Uh, and Craigslist, uh, we, we, we check that out all the time for the free stuff. And I will not be afraid to strap anything to the roof of my minivan. Uh, I mean, I don't care how big it is. We've had up to 15 pallets at a time strapped to the roof of the minivan driving through town. And I think one of the coolest things is that uh, we, and of course by we, I mean my, my wife, have taught my daughter that when I say, hey baby, who is the greatest daddy in the world? She looks me right in the eye and she smiles, that beautiful little smile that only Leah could smile. And she says, not you. <laughs> because she knows that God is the greatest daddy in the whole world. We live a life that's a little bit different than what is common to this, this day and age, to this society that we live in. We, we live a life that challenges the status quo because we decided to ask that question, why? Why is that a tradition? Why is that a thing that we do? Why is that even a thing at all? We asked that question, why? And because of the answers that we got back, we live a life that's a little bit different. Different from the way that Ashley and her family 
grew up, different from the way that I grew up with my family. And I'm not saying that what we do is right and what, what everybody else does is wrong. I'm not saying that what we do is better. I'm just saying it's what works for us. And it's different. And I'm really only telling you all of that so I can let you know that because of this different life that I lead and really because of the fact that I could probably always say that I've been a little bit different. Um, everybody always questions the bow tie, but it's all right. I've always been a little bit different. I discovered something. Uh, it's a profound idea, a profound thought, a, a profound statement. Probably the most sincere and profound thought that I will share with you all day maybe even in the next 10 sermons that I preach. And so I want you to get ready for it. So if you've got your phone, you want to pull out your Google Keep, or you want to pull out a piece of paper and a pencil, you want to write this down. This is something that's going to blow your mind when I let you know this. And this is through completely independent study. I figured this out all on my own. I didn't check any resources, so I know it's true. And here it goes. Are you ready for this? Mine's getting ready to be blown. On the whole, people in general, as a rule, don't like when things are different. <laughs> Wait, none of you look like your minds are blown. None of you look like that's news to you. You look like that's probably the most normal thing in the world. And maybe I'm not as clever as I thought I was. Oh, no, it's okay. I've got it in my notes to say all that. Um, Here's what it is. We know that people don't like when things are different. We see it in our world for, for the last hundred years or thousand years. We can look and see over and over. If we look at the last six months here in America, we see people getting violently angry because somebody else was different from them. Because they had a different color skin, or they had a different socioeconomic standing, or they had a different idea about what is right and what is wrong. They had a different belief system. They were just different. Different. This last couple of weeks, we've been in this study called Different. Looking at First Peter and the knowledge that we can, we can pull out from there about how to live a life that is different. And Chris started us off, that's our, our pastor who's off uh, doing some other stuff this morning and helping out in another church. But Chris talked two weeks ago about how as people that say we follow Christ, we should react differently to the things the world throws at us. That we should live a life that when trials come, when suffering comes, when tribulations come, that we react in a different way than what the world would. And then last week we had Logan who got up and did a great job and uh, he talked about how we are called to be different. How to, we're called to live a life that's holy, which means to be set apart and set aside to be different. Today I want to ask a different question. I didn't mean to do that. Today, I want to ask a question that, that says, what happens when you start to put those things into effect? What happens? How does your life change when you actually live differently? And as always, adventure, we like to look to the Bible for the answers to life's most important questions. So we're going to do that. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. So if you want to go ahead and grab your Bible and do that. If you don't have a Bible, there are some in the doorway as you're coming in. You can grab one of those. If you don't have one at home, take that home with you because we think everybody should have a good readable version of the Bible. Uh, you can also use your phone. The Bible app is fantastic. Or the words will be up on the screen. 
But we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. And if you've been keeping notes from the last couple of weeks, you know, Chris was in 1 Peter 1 and Logan was in 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2. Uh, I skipped all the way to 4, but that's because I wanted to be different. Yes, thank you. Uh, just making sure you're all paying attention. Um, so we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. Let's see what Peter has to say about being different. This is verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you as though something strange were happening to you. I think Peter is trying to tell us something really important and something really sincere right now. I heard one preacher say this was the most encouraging message that you never want to hear. Don't be surprised when struggles come. Don't be surprised when the world stands against you. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening. Because here's the thing, if you're living a life for God, if you're living a life that is shining light into the darkness of the world, a life that is shouting out the name of Jesus to everyone that you meet, you shouldn't be surprised when the world stands against you. You know, if it's your first time here at Venture or your first time giving church a shot, if it, you know, you're, you're still new on the journey, you're still trying to figure out if Jesus is right and good for you, if, if that's what you want to do with the rest of your life and how you want to live, uh, I've got to burst a couple of bubbles for you. Uh, some things that TV evangelists like to talk about that uh, I don't know are there. And there's some promises that people like to think Jesus made. So let me pop some bubbles for you. But believe me, it, it won't ruin your day. It'll actually help you out in the long run. Uh, Jesus never says that life's going to be easy. He doesn't make that promise. Jesus doesn't promise that you're going to be rich. He doesn't promise that if you decide to go on vacation, if you love him and you follow him and cherish him, that no, it won't rain at all on you while you're on vacation. He never makes those promises. He never says, if you follow him, your life will be both peachy and keen. He doesn't say it. And in fact, when you get into the word of God and you see what Jesus was about, you see that he actually promised the entire opposite of that. He said, it's not about, I'm going to give you a good life here on the earth and an easy life here on the earth. He promises the opposite. In uh, the book of John, chapter 15, starting at verse 18, Jesus says this. Again, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, letting them know what to expect. He says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally, they will persecute you. If they had listened to me, they would listen to you. Jesus says it's very simple. If you live a life for him, if you live a life that is out loud for him, shining light into dark places, the world will stand against you. The world will hate you because you become something different. You become something other. And this was Jesus talking before there was stuff like Twitter and Facebook and blogs and vlogs and live feeds and YouTube where you could very easily with no effort put out there for all the world to see exactly what you think about something. Jesus said the world will hate you even when all you're doing is whispering in the corner 
how much you love him. It's not about who you tell. It's about how you tell. Let me see if I can uh, help you understand a little bit. Analogy, analogy, analogy. Okay, I'm a big fan of soccer. Now, I, I could do other sports. You know, like I know there's baseball and basketball and football all happening right now. But if I tried to do those, I'd have to use names like Mean Joe Green and Jose Canseco and Scottie Pippen. And I don't think any of them are alive or playing anymore. So I'm going to use soccer because I understand it. But if you need to make yourself more comfortable with a different sport, it's okay. I will let you do that this time because it, it, it works for everything. But in soccer, there are some names that when you hear these names and you know you're going to be playing against them, you start to strategize and change what you're doing uh, on the field. Names like Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo and Zlatan Ibrahimovic, that, that you hear those names and you're like, all right, the coach is telling you, you got to go out and you got to double team that guy. You got you to stay on him. You got to box him out. You got to do all these other sporty defensive words that, to them to focus on them, to keep them from making plays. Because if you can do that, then we'll have a chance at winning the game. But what happens when you show up to the game and that player is sitting on the bench? What do you do? Do you send those two defenders to, to still defend them? You're like, oh, I'm going I'm to stay right here just in case Messi decides to jump off, off the bench and start playing. No. You don't do that. That would be silly. Sometimes I feel like AC Milan does that, um, which is my favorite soccer team because they're just awful right now. But I still love them. It's okay. Uh, but no, you, you change your strategy. You look at the field and you say, all right, who's the biggest threat right now that's active? Who's the biggest threat that's out here? And that's who you go and you defend against. That's who you go and you stop. And let me tell you, friends, if we have figured that out in games, then you've got to know that the devil has figured that out. You see what I'm saying? When you're active against him, you're a threat. And he's going to try and stop you. But if you're sitting on the bench spiritually, and if you're just showing up, and you're saying, I'm here. How's it going? And you just show up. But you're not doing anything. You're not, you're not being a servant and you're not giving and you're not sharing the, the love that Jesus has poured into your life. And you're not going out and you're not shining light into dark places. You're just on the bench. You're not a threat. But what happens when you get up? What happens when you start getting active? When you start getting in on the plays and you start attacking? You start going after them. What happens? You get noticed. And then the enemy starts to bear down on you. Enemy starts to come after you. Because you've become a threat. You shouldn't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. Don't be surprised when you're going against the enemy, the enemy comes back at you. If you were a boxer and you get in a boxing ring and the other guy throws a punch, you're like, whoa, what's going on? I don't know what's happening. That would be unusual, right? You don't get surprised if you're in a boxing ring and somebody tries to punch you. You don't get surprised if you're at a batting range and someone throws a ball at you. You don't get surprised if you're on a battlefield and the enemy starts shooting. So why is it that Christians get so surprised when the world realizes that we're different and it acts like it hates us. Why do we do that? Because somehow throughout history, that has happened. But friends, church isn't a play date. It's not a social club. 
It's a battleground. We shouldn't be surprised when the enemy starts sending fiery arrows our way. Because you know what happens when you shine light in the darkness? The things that are in the darkness get angry. Just ask the bugs that come out when I flip on the light in the kitchen at night. <laughs> oh, gracious. Last year, I, I read a book um, written by Dr. Ajay Law, uh, who is a, a pastor in, in India. Uh, he, he went to my alma mater. I've met him several times. I'd love to say that he's a friend of mine, but like I've only just met him. Uh, like He wouldn't recognize me. Um, but he wrote this book called Christian Extremism. And through this book, he recounts story after story after story of men and women that he knows that have had to go through extreme things. People that he's done ministry with, people that he does life with that have, because of their love of Jesus Christ, been beaten and raped and thrown into prison and tied up and dragged behind cars down paths and left for dead on the side of the road. And this isn't a book that was written hundreds of years ago. This isn't even a book that's decades old. These are stories that are happening now. The book's two years old. These people that are in these stories are still alive and still doing ministry because they weren't surprised when someone came in and grabbed them out while they were preaching and took them outside to beat them to death. It didn't shock them. They expected it. They knew that fiery ordeal was coming. But they also had read the next verse of 1 Peter chapter 4. So let's read that. 1 Peter 4, 13. Do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal has come upon you to test you as though something strange is happening to you. Instead, be very glad because these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of Christ rests upon you. They knew what they were getting into and they were ready for it. Now here in America, we don't seem to have the level of suffering that they have in India and Pakistan and Afghanistan and all these Muslim and Hindu countries where they're so militant and so decisive in their wrath upon people who profess the name of Christ. Here, all we got to worry about is maybe not getting invited to that party or people not wanting to hang out with us at work because we live in a different society, a different culture. Here, everyone's greatest goal seems to revolve around seeking comfort. Everyone wants to be comfortable. And if you want to be comfortable, you can't be confrontational. They're, they're, they're not words that go together well. And so when you start to seek comfort, you start to uh, avoid conflict. And you start to dodge op uh, opposition. And you start to look for that path that is the, the least resistance so that you can get to the other side and be like, I made it through the day. I'm all right. I can kick my feet up now and, and not worry about anything until tomorrow. And we do that. We, we look for that path. And don't get me wrong. I'm right there with you. I would every single day rather have a good, easy, comfortable conversation about superheroes than to confront someone about their sin or to confess my sin to someone. 
I would rather have a nice, easy, going, happy day than one that's full of pain. I would rather live a life of ease than a life of struggle. And I think we all would. I mean, it, it even bleeds over into our, our spiritual time, into our time with God. Think about the prayers that we pray. God, please give me a good day today. God, please, please help me today. Keep me safe. Keep us safe as we're driving. Protect us. Guard us. And those aren't bad things, but if all we're doing is asking for a comfortable life, are we going to accomplish anything? Are we going to be able to go out and shine light in the dark places when it's not comfortable to be in the dark? It's not comfortable unless there's a nice warm glow of light around us. But we see it all the time. We do it all the time. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to be cast in that group of politically incorrect, insecure, lonely people that the world just loves to hate. That we get cast aside and say, yeah, they're, they're a pariah. We can't be around them because they're going to talk about Jesus. No. We're afraid of that. Tell me, tell me if some of this sounds familiar to you. Maybe you, you were at a party. You're hanging out with folks and they're doing their thing, smoking or drinking, whatever it is they smoke or drink. And you're like, I don't really do that stuff. But you're, you're hanging out and you're fine until somebody passes one to you. And now you've got to make a decision. Do I stand my ground here and make people uncomfortable? Do I stand my ground here even though they might not look at me the same after this? Do I stand my ground here or do I say, you know what, it's not that big a deal. It's just one whatever. And you fall into that trap. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's not you. Maybe that's not your thing. Maybe, maybe for you, it's you're at work and a coworker starts telling a joke that is inappropriate because it's sexist or racist or bigoted or any other of those kind of negative words. And, and you know it's wrong and you know it's bad, but, but you don't want to be like, oh, that's racist. Like, you can't say that. And so you hold your tongue because you don't want to be that guy that nobody can tell jokes around. And you just giggle a little bit. You're like, ah, oh, yeah, it's funny. I'm going to go over here now. You hang your head in shame because you, you know that you should have done something different. Maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe if someone asks you point blank, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the one true God? Do you believe that the Bible is real? Do you believe in the literal seven days of creation? Do you believe in all the miracles happened that you're going to look at them and you're like, yes, yes, I do. But you're not going to just come out and let them know on your own because it's not comfortable. Because you don't know how they're going to react. Because you don't want to be that person at work that Everybody's like, I ah, don't talk to them. They're just going to talk about Jesus. And I know some of you in here have experienced that. Some of you in here have, have been on both sides of that coin where you've said, no, I'm going to do it. And then, <coughs> excuse me, and then afterwards, you're like, man, I shouldn't have done that. Or you didn't do it. And afterwards, you're like, man, I shouldn't have done that. Because it's hard to live this life in this place when we're seeking comfort. 
Uh, Craig Rochelle, a pastor out in, in Texas, came up with this idea. He said there's a cycle of comfort that we go through, a cycle of comfort that we, we get into. And once you get in that cycle of seeking comfort, that uh, it kind of goes downhill from there uh, because it, it, it builds and it grows. Uh, go ahead and throw that cycle up there. Here's the first cycle. This is the cycle of seeking comfort. Oh, the picture doesn't show up on this screen, so I was like, I don't know what he's doing. Um, so this, this is the cycle. You pursue comfort. And the more you pursue comfort, the more that you seek out being comfortable, the more you're going to avoid confrontation. And as you avoid confrontation, your comfort level grows and you're excited about it. So you avoid more confrontation. But the problem is, while you're avoiding confrontation, your faith is going to grow weaker because faith grows through confrontation. Faith grows through being challenged. Faith grows when you've hit rock bottom and you've got to say, I can only rely on God right now because if God isn't here, then I am nothing. That's when your faith grows. That's when you get better. That's when you get stronger. That's when you dig into the word and dig into your prayer life. And so when you're not doing that and you're avoiding confrontation, your, your faith is going to weaken. And when your faith weakens, guess what? Your life gets empty. And what do you do when your life's empty? You pursue comfort. And it starts the whole cycle over again. And it builds and it builds and it builds and it won't let you out. And it's got to be so frustrating to be stuck in a cycle that has no way of ever gaining satisfaction. A cycle that has no way of ever getting to the point that you can say, man, I accomplished something. Because it just keeps building on itself. But there's good news. Because... Uh, Craig Rochelle also gave us another cycle. He said, said there's a different cycle that you can use as well, a, a cycle that is going to take some effort, a cycle that's going to take some work, a cycle that you're going to have to choose to be different to accomplish. You're going to have to recognize that you are a foreigner in this world, a sojourner, a pilgrim, a stranger, all words that Peter uses in the book of 1 Peter describe the fact that we are not of this place. We are merely passing through, and we serve a king that is greater, a king that is different, a king whose value system and standards are so far and away beyond what this world says. A king that says, you know what? You should love instead of hate, even when people are different. You should give of yourself instead of take advantage of other people. You should let yourself be last and be humbled so that I can lift you up and that I can put you first. He even says that if somebody asks for your shirt, go to him and give them your jacket too. Make sure they're taken care of. That's how different, how radical, how amazing Jesus Christ is. And he says there's a totally different cycle that you can be on. And this is that other cycle is there another cycle? Maybe not. Uh, I'll tell you what it is. I know what it is. There you go. Uh, to live boldly. To live out loud for Jesus. To be different. That's what I could have put there. Be different. You could be different right there. Live boldly. Live out and say, I'm going to do this no matter what's going on elsewhere. And as you do that, as you live out loud, as you live boldly, guess what? The world's going to stand up against you. The, the enemy is going to notice you and it's going to bear down on you and it's going to try to play defense against you to stop you. But that'll make you rely on God more. That'll make you rely on the Savior more and it'll grow your faith and it'll grow your faith which will bring you closer to Jesus. And you know what happens when you are close to Jesus? You live boldly. And the whole cycle starts over again. But it takes 
being different. Friends, right now, everybody in this room is in one of these two cycles. Everybody in this room is in either the cycle that's seeking comfort or the cycle that's living boldly because you can't do both. Take a second. Look at those cycles. Which one do you want to be on? Which one do you want to be a part of? They both have some things that you're like, oh, you know what? Comfort sounds good. I I like comfort. I don't know that I want to make an enemy of the whole world. That doesn't sound very exciting. But here, let me, let me share some more from 1 Peter for you. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail. If you're suffering because you're doing things for God, if you're suffering not because you made bad decisions, if you're suffering not because you fell into sin, suffering not because your people, I don't know, whatever reason people suffer, but you're suffering because of the choices you're making to live for God, awesome. Because it's pleasing to him. And he will never fail you. Peter says the world might be against you. It might be completely against you. The whole world might be against you. And that's just not some emo thing that I'm saying. Like literally the whole world might be against you, but that's okay. Because you know who's bigger than the whole world? God. You know who's more powerful than the whole world? God. Do you know who loves you more than anything else in this world ever could, even if the whole world loved you? God. And this is what it all comes down to, is doing this thing for God, being different for him, being willing to step out and say, you know what, I am going to be different. I am going to make the choices that I think God would have me make right here and right now in this situation, in this situation, in this situation. And I'm not talking about cliche stuff like the old what would Jesus do bracelets. I'm saying really really looking and saying, what would God have me do in this moment? And then doing it, no matter what it means to your your coworkers or your family or your friends or your loved ones or the people that are on the street walking past you at the store, no matter what they think. You could say it this way. It's It's a good principle, one that I think we could all, if we put it into effect in our lives, would work. And that is do what's right, and trust God with the results. Do what's right and trust God with the results. Be different from the world because you know you're being like God. And I'm not saying be different, like just be different weird. Like don't like pull up in a parking lot and jump out and run at people and say, Jesus loves you and jump back in your car and drive away because that's different, but it's not going to accomplish anything. I'm saying be different with all of your choices. Live a life that shines light into the world And be different like God because you can't be like the world and do what's right to trust God with the results. It doesn't mesh. It doesn't go go together. You have to be different. So you got to choose. You got to choose to not raise your kids the way the world says you're supposed to raise your kids. To have a me, me, me attitude. Or to believe that everything's going to be okay and that everybody gets a participation trophy. 
if you're going to live differently, you're going to use your money differently. You're going to have different morals and different values. You're going to live a life that has different conversations and different ideals. And here's the thing. If you're different from this world, it's not going to like it. It's not going to be excited by it. The world's not going to want to come hang out with you because you're different. Because you challenge it. And I get it. It's scary. But there's hope. There's phenomenal hope. There is a great promise here that Jesus gives us, that Peter gives us through the Holy Spirit. It's in 1 Peter chapter 5, right at the very end. There's a little bit of like housekeeping stuff that happens after this, but this is the, the crux of all of 1 Peter. Starting in verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. I'm going to stop right there for a second. Notice that. Give all your worries and cares to God because he cares about you. That's not really got a lot to do with the rest of what we're talking about, but it's so awesome I didn't want to gloss it over. Cast your burdens on Jesus for he cares for you. He loves you enough that he wants your pain. He wants your suffering. He want, Actually, no, there you go. It does work. He wants all of that. He wants to hold it for you. He doesn't want you to feel bogged down by it because, you know what, he knows suffering is going to come. He says, just give it to me. It's coming because of me. Give it back to me. Cast them all on me, and I care for you. Stay alert and watch out for your great enemy, the devil, for he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. Some of them even greater. And then he says this. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered for a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. He will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. Peter says, yes, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. He says, it's not about that. It's about the one who will take all of that away. The one who, if you trust yourself and your life and your choices to him, will bring you restoration and support and strength and give you a firm foundation to stand on. That's what it happens when you live a life that's different. It's not going to be easy. Your mom's going to look at you and be like, well, what are you doing? We never did that. Your friends are going to look at you and be like, something's weird, something strange, not just in the neighborhood. But God will see and bless you because of it. Maybe not here and now with peace and ease and comfort, but forever in his presence. Pray with me.
Gracious Father, it's so humbling to know how much you love us. That even though we, we fall and we fail and we are miserable excuses of living different lives, that you give us chance after chance to come back to you. Chance after chance to be with you and, and part of you and, and to follow you. And I thank you for that. I pray that you give us that ability and that knowledge and that drive to do what's right, no matter how different it looks. And trust you with the results. To do what's right because it's right. Even if it costs us. Even if it costs us everything. I ask your blessing on us today. I see your name we pray. Amen.